So again, it's John chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 1, and we'll work our way to verse 10 to this morning. So as we take a look at this particular section of Scripture this morning, again, Jesus is going to use word pictures or, or an analogy, a metaphor, to try to explain who he is. Jesus has been proclaiming from the beginning that he truly is the Messiah, God the Son. But the religious leaders, they, they just don't want to hear him, and particularly they think that he's a false prophet. And the reason they think that he's a false prophet is he performs healings, particularly on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus has already healed a man who had a withered hand in Matthew 12. That was at the very beginning of his ministry. He also healed a woman who had been bleeding for 18 years. That was in Luke chapter 13. He healed the man crippled by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. And we just saw last week in John chapter 9 that Jesus healed a man who had been born blind and now he's got complete sight. Each one of those healings were done on the Sabbath. And so, these religious leaders think that Jesus has somehow sinned. But Jesus already taught them that it was right to do good on the Sabbath. This is what he says in Matthew 12, verse 11 and 12. He says, he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So these religious leaders, they could not claim to be ignorant of the truth. The issue is their heart. They're resistant. They're hard-hearted. They don't want to hear the truth. As a matter of fact, they were actually the ones who were blind. They were spiritually blind, unwilling to listen, unwilling to see. And Jesus had already told them that if they would not believe in Him, that they would die in their sins. And so that leads us to this point where we just saw in John chapter 9, the very last verse, and He basically pronounces a judgment on them in John chapter 9, verse 41. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. If you will, they've sealed their fate. So many different ways he's tried to reveal who he is. And now what we see this morning, from that last statement, now he begins to preach and so he's outside the temple, and he's, he begins to preach about a shepherd and his sheep, using an analogy that everyone there would understand, particularly in that day. And what we'll see this morning is two truths about Jesus. One, Jesus is going to reveal himself as the one true shepherd of Israel. And two, he's going to reveal that he is the only way to the Father. He is the literal door to salvation. So let's take a look. We'll begin with the first three verses. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. So who does Jesus claim to be right here? The first thing that we'll see is that Jesus is the true shepherd. His sheep hear his voice and obey his call. Jesus is the true shepherd. His sheep, they hear his voice, and then they obey his call. Jesus is the one true shepherd that all that are God's will hear him when he calls them by name. Now, the analogy here of a shepherd, this is well known to the people in Israel. Shepherds were common day. 
in, in, that, in that day, particularly there around Jerusalem in the fields, in the Judean fields, there were a number of shepherds with their flocks, so everybody would be well aware what Jesus is talking about. But God is often revealed in Scripture as a shepherd. As a matter of fact, we read it this morning, Psalm 23. Let me read you the first two verses again. It should be on the screen. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Also in Psalm 80, verse 1, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. So we know that God in the Old Testament has revealed himself as a shepherd over Israel, over his people. And so Jesus begins here in verse 1, truly, truly. Now, truly, truly is, is an, like an exclamation. It's saying, amen, amen, listen up. This is very important. You don't want to miss this. What I'm about to say is foundational, very important. And so as he begins to talk about a shepherd and his sheep, I'm sure the people are aware and maybe even see maybe some shepherds with their sheep on the Judean hills. But the life of a shepherd, it wasn't easy. Matter of fact, that's a hard life. It wasn't easy because sheep have a tendency to wander. And there wasn't a lot of grass in that area. And a shepherd would, would have to weather the storm. They'd have to weather wild animals. They'd have to fight against thieves and robbers. And there were shepherds that were related to in the Old Testament that everyone knew about. Abram, Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Even David was a shepherd boy. So these are things that the people, as Jesus begins to talk to them, they know well. And it's a good analogy to talk about Jesus as the one who cares for his people, the one who, who takes in those and, and cares for them and has them follow him. But Jesus also has another goal here. He's going to contrast himself with false shepherds, those who claim to be leaders, those who claim to want to care for the sheep, but they don't. And Jesus is going to show himself in two images. First of all, he's going to show himself as the true shepherd in verses 1 through 6. And then we'll see him show himself as the door, as the way to salvation in verses 7 through 10. So he begins with again in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. So what is this sheepfold that Jesus is sharing here? Well, in verses 1 through 6, the sheepfold is the kind of sheepfold that you'd find in a village. In villages, it was very common to find a, a fold or a pen that would hold sheep. And, and what would happen is, is it would have high walls, usually made out of either stone or rock. And shepherds would have their sheep out on the fields during the day, but at night... All the shepherds would bring their sheep to the village and they'd put their sheep in the pen, in the fold. And it always had a door. And then it also had a doorkeeper. And so you have this picture here where these, all these different shepherds would be out during the day and they'd come at night and they'd put their, their sheep in there. So that's the kind of pen or sheepfold that we see in verses 1 through 6. But there's going to be a different kind of sheepfold, I'll just kind of tell you up front, that we'll look at in verses 7 through 10. That kind of sheepfold is going to be the kind of sheepfold that's out in the wilderness. During the, the spring and summer months, the shepherd would be with his sheep, and 
they would sometimes gather rocks and make a low wall and then put the sheep in, but it would have no door, just an opening. And then the shepherd himself would become the door and he would lay across that sheepfold. So we're going to see two different kinds of sheepfolds. One here in verses 1 through 6 and another one in verses 7 through 10. But the door of the sheepfold that we see here this morning, here in verses 1 through 6, is really revealing that Jesus is the one who has the authority to go in and to lead out. He is the true shepherd. And those sheep that are his, they will know his voice and he'll be able to lead his sheep out of the sheepfold. So what does the sheepfold represent here metaphorically? Well, some people that I read think that it represents the church. Others say that it represents heaven. But I don't think it represents either of those because Jesus is going to lead them out. He doesn't lead anyone out of the church. He doesn't lead anyone out of heaven. No, I think it represents Israel. This first section in verses 1 through 6, he's speaking about Israel here. Those sheep that are his from Israel. He's using this metaphor now, we know that because in verse 16 of John chapter 10, he says there's going to be another kind of sheepfold. should be on the screen behind me. John chapter 10, verse 16 says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. That's his, the sheep that are not of this fold. The fold is Israel. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Verse 16 is speaking about Gentiles. Jesus is going to bring sheep from another fold, we know. He's going to make a church some from Israel and some from the Gentiles, and it'll become one fold, his church. And so we'll, we'll see that Jesus alone has the authority as the Messiah, that he is the one that can go in and out. But we're also going to see Jesus show himself as the door. Now, this leaves us with the thieves and the robbers. It becomes clear that the Jewish leaders that are pictured here are the thieves and the robbers. You look at verse 1 again, he, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. So you have this picture of a doorkeeper. He would guard the door. It would be night. And so the only way that a thief and robber could get in, they'd have to come in some other way. Read a lot of stuff on this. And typically what they would do is a thief and a robber would climb the wall at night. Hopefully they were hoping the doorkeeper would be asleep. And they would go into the pen they would actually kill the sheep in the pen and then throw the dead carcasses over the wall. That was common in that day. And this is a picture of false shepherds, those who claim to care for the sheep, but they don't. And these are seen throughout the Old Testament. Now, both the book of Ezekiel and also the book of Jeremiah speak about false shepherds, those who claim to care, but they don't. And God, speaking through these two prophets, brings warnings. In Ezekiel 34, verses 1 and 2, as well as verses 9 and 10, this is what it says. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Verses 9 and 10 says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding the sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so they will not be food for them. He says almost the same thing in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2, Woe, shepherds, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. See that connection, sheep and people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And Jesus is speaking to those Pharisees right there. They are false shepherds. They've been herding the flock. So the Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. Now Jesus has been confronting these false shepherds throughout his whole ministry. They are the ones who would not listen. They are the ones that wanted to kill him from the start. As a matter of fact, when you look at Matthew 23, that's the woe chapter. It's just woe, woe, woe. I'm going to read three of them for you so you just understand how Jesus speaks to these religious leaders. Matthew 23, 13 through 15, Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. For a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Very serious words. And Jesus is now speaking to those very same Pharisees here. And so he's going to contrast himself. First, he speaks about them in verse 1, and then he contrasts himself to them in verses 2 and 3. Look at the text. He says, But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Jesus is the true shepherd. He is the one, when he calls his people, his sheep, they will hear his name, they'll hear the call, and they'll respond to the call. They'll obey it. So everyone who hears this analogy that Jesus is sharing, they understand, they, they've seen it, it's all before them, it's becoming clear. Now, no one has their credentials as the true shepherd except Jesus. He was born of the line of David. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin and 200 other prophecies that he fulfilled. And verse 3 tells us, to him the doorkeeper opens. Jesus is allowed within the fold of Israel. And he will call out his sheep by name, and those that know him will respond and obey. Now, to hear his voice, they will hear his voice, hear the call. That means to accept to listen, to respond, to give heed. This is a beautiful analogy right here of God's electing grace. And I want you to listen to me. I'm going to talk about election here. And when some people hear that word election, there's a shutdown. But I don't want you to shut down right now. I want you to hear. This is a beautiful picture of that because it's going to run along parallel with man's responsibility. Both are here in the text. Both we find in the scriptures, both speak of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And we'll see them both in this text here. The first analogy teaches that Jesus Christ, he knows his sheep. This truth is implied in verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name. 
Now, the shepherd would, would know his sheep, and often they would name their sheep. Most shepherds only had a few sheep. There weren't large flocks. Most shepherds in that day had 10, 20 sheep, and, and they would know each one intimately, personally. And this speaks of intimacy. And although election is a mystery and difficult for us to stand on this side of heaven, it's clearly taught, and it's a reality found in Scripture. Just as Jesus chose the blind man not only to heal him, but to save him. In the same way, he chose his disciples. John, Peter, James, all of them. If you know Christ, you can rest assured he chose you as well. And I find that election is actually a very comforting verse because he loses none that are his. Sovereign election is found both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I've never met anybody that has a problem with sovereign election in the Old Testament, that Jesus chose Abram and Moses and Israel. Most of the debate happens in the New Testament. But election is present always, always, listen, election is always present in tension, tension with man's responsibility. Sovereign election does not take away the responsibility of man to repent and receive Christ's atoning work. Sovereign election is a scriptural reality, and it's found throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it all over the place. I'll share with you three verses, two verses. John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There is an inner working of God in choosing his people, in electing his people, and he draws them to his Son. John 15, 16 Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Paul explains it like this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon the beloved. The way the, way the Bible explains election is from God's perspective. God sees it. And the Bible explains it the way God sees it. And you were chosen before the very foundation of the world. And then it's confirmed in time and space when you respond to the gospel message that is preached to you plainly. Paul explains it another way in Romans 8, 28 through 30. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, God's electing grace, it does not limit the atonement. Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all but only those that respond to the gospel message 
can receive and be saved and forgiven. Now, Charles Spurgeon, he, he noticed the tension. And many of us know who Charles Spurgeon is. He's a well-known pastor that lived in the 1800s. This is how he, if you will, tries to reconcile this in his mind. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about both election and man's responsibility. He says, I see in one place God presiding over all in providence, and yet I see and I cannot help seeing that man acts as he pleases and that God has left his actions to his own will in a great measure. If then I find taught in one place that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another place that man is responsible for all his actions, that is also true. It is my folly that leads me to imagine that two truths can ever contradict each other. These two truths, I do not believe, can ever be welded into one upon any human anvil, but one they shall be in eternity, and they will meet somewhere in eternity close to the throne of God from where all truth springs. Scripture teaches both, and it teaches both openly. The divide happens when people want to look at it from their perspective, either the heavenly perspective or the earthly perspective. But the Bible is clear. God foreknew you before the foundation of the world. He predestined you. He called you and He justifies you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are responsible to respond to that in faith, both sides. Now, the clearest verse that I think I've found that it has both, both man's responsibility and God's sovereign election is John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. First, you see man's responsibility. It says, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in His name. That's why when I'm up here, I say, please respond, accept, receive. But verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, not of blood. Ancestry will not get you into the kingdom of heaven, the will of the flesh. It won't be the works that you do. It won't be the will of man. You cannot will somebody else in there. It is a work of God. So verse 3, Jesus says, he calls his own sheep by name, and then he leads them out. Each of us at some point heard that call. If you know Christ, you heard it and you responded. The heavenly and the earthly converged. And first he calls them, and then he leads them out. And Jesus comes to the door of the sheepfold. He knows his sheep in advance. He calls them, they hear his voice, and then he leads them. They respond to his voice. He leads them out of an old covenant, and he leads them into a new covenant. He leads them into what he calls green pastures. This could represent the church. It could also represent heaven. So he leads the Jews away from Judaism or from that religion. He leads the Gentiles away from paganism, and then he brings them together as one flock, one church. Now, this reality of both his sovereign grace and also man's responsibility came home to me two weeks ago on a Monday night. I went out witnessing with my friend Pete Spradley. We went up to the Mission Viejo Library. Those are kind of my stomping grounds. I love it up there. The reason is people always go in and out of the, of the library. And so you kind of have a captive audience. And so what we do is we, we bring a survey. It's a religious survey. And, and we just ask them if we can take a brief survey with them. And the way the survey is designed is so that 
At the end of it, it has some what we call diagnostic questions. And the last question is, if you were to die today and you stood before God and he was to ask you, why should I allow you into my heaven, how would you answer that? Well, we usually have about a 50% hit. About one out of every two say, yeah, I'll do the survey. And then out of that, about another 50% say, yeah, I'll let you share with me what the Bible says. And so that night, the Lord brought to us a mom and a daughter. The mom's name was Sally and the daughter's name was Giselle. The daughter was 15 years old. And so we had a chance to share the survey. And the way that they answered that question is they said, well, we're doing the best we can for God. And then Pete did a great job. He says, well, can I share with you what the Bible says about how you answer that? And they both said yes. And so Pete began to share with them the gospel message that it's really not about what you do for God, but what he has done. And the problem is our sin. And so Pete began to share how they're sinners and how they fall short of God's glory. But then he started to share about who God is, about the love of God and the mercy of God and how God extends that openly to all who come. And, but, but don't forget that God is a judge. He never gives sin a pass, and he must judge our sin. And then Pete explains the way that God offers it is through Christ, that Jesus himself lived the perfect life, and he took our sin upon himself, and he died for us, and then he rose again. And then he explained, but you must receive that truth by faith. And he asked, these, he asked the mother and the daughter if that made sense, and they both said, yes, it did. And then he asked me, he says, would you like to receive Christ? And they both said, yes. And so Pete and I kind of scoot them out of the doorway area, and we, we had a chance to talk to them and then pray with them to receive Christ. Now, that's great. That's exciting. But what excited me more was the response after they both prayed. Giselle, the 15-year-old daughter, started to cry, and then she started to weep. And she said that that week, she had been at her youth group, and they told her that she was a sinner, and every time she sinned, she had to repent to God. But she said, I felt overwhelmed. She said, I felt like I kept blowing it, and I didn't know, and I kept asking God to help me understand how I could ever repent enough to cover all my sins, and she felt this weight, and so she started asking God to show her, what is that? That is God's work, working on her heart, and then the preordained meeting with us as we, we brought the gospel, and as she heard the gospel, she suddenly understood. It's like the lights came on, and when those two realities, the human side and the heavenly side, converged, she became born again. And as she's crying, she's realizing what God's done. Guys, it's a beautiful picture right here of what happened. Both the mother and the daughter heard the Lord's voice, and they obeyed his call. First thing we see, Jesus is the true shepherd. His sheep hear his voice, they obey his call. Second thing we see, Jesus is the true shepherd. Slightly different. His sheep know his voice and follow only him. His sheep know his voice and they will follow only him. Those that are the Lord's will not follow another. So look at verses 4 through 6. It says, when he puts forth all, all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of spe speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So verse 4 says, when he put forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now this is also a very common picture and what you would often see in the Judean hills around Israel is that the shepherd would be ahead of the sheep, sometimes very far ahead. 
And the reason he did that, he was looking for potholes, making sure the sheep didn't fall on them. He was looking for good grass, looking for water, and he would go ahead of his sheep. And, and Jesus uses this analogy, this picture, is the way as he is leading his people out, out of dead religion, into true faith in him. And it says here that the sheep know his voice. Sheep recognize the voice of their master. They understand the tone and the inflections of the voice, and they will not listen to another. Zondervan commentary said this about shepherds and sheep. It says, the relationship rapidly develops between a shepherd and the sheep, and they quickly become accustomed to their owner's particular voice. They know its peculiar sounds and inflections, and they can distinguish it from any other person. So this is a beautiful word picture for God's people understanding their master's voice, knowing him. And there's also a picture in Scripture of this that we find in John chapter 20. If you remember the story of Mary Magdalene, after Jesus was crucified and he was laid in the tomb, on Sunday morning she comes to the tomb and she finds that the stone had been rolled away. Remember the story? Well, she begins to weep. And she starts crying because she thinks that somebody has stole her master's body. And then all of a sudden she's aware that there's someone else there and she thinks it's the gardener. But what happens? Jesus speaks her name. She hears his voice. And then she recognizes that it's the Lord. Let me read that for you. John 20, 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. She didn't know it was Jesus until she heard his voice. She knows the Lord's voice. And in the same way, you can take comfort as his sheep that you will know his voice. It says here in verse 5 that his sheep will not follow a stranger, that you know the voice of the Lord. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus tells us that his voice is the word of God. He already said it in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, he says, if you continue in my word, then you're truly a disciple of mine. Those that know Jesus know the Word of God, know it well enough that they listen to the Word of God and they respond to it, but they will not listen to another. I love the way radio hosts, his name is J. Vernon McGee, anybody, friends, you know J. Vernon? Okay, I have his commentary, this is what he said. He said, I believe you can fool some of God's people some of the time, but I don't think you can fool God's people all the time. Wherever we find people who are eager for the Word of God, we know they are His sheep. That is an evidence that you know the Lord, that you're his sheep. Do you, do you love his word? Do you want to grow in his word? Do you study his word? And no one who is genuinely saved will turn away permanently from the Lord. Now, sometimes sheep wander, and sometimes we can get outside of the fold, but the shepherd's very good of using his staff and his rod, isn't he, of kind of bringing you back into the fold. And those that are his sheep he will draw back. And his sheep, they, they hear the call, they know it, and they don't know the voice of strangers. And the idea of the voice of strangers are false philosophies, false religions, false teachings. Now, John, the writer of, of this epistle, he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he explains it like this in 2nd John, verse 9 and 10. He says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, he does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, do
Do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. The idea here is that we'll know when we hear something that's false as his children. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in some of the channels that have preachers on them, sometimes they say stuff and I'm just like, really? What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. I call it a flag. It's like, whoosh, that wasn't true. And sometimes you'll get guys that'll claim all kinds of wacky and weird stuff. You'll know his voice, not a false voice. Now, it's interesting, in this little section here, verse 5 has what's known as a double negative. It's oi me. And you literally could translate this, a stranger they absolutely will not follow, but they will flee. You absolutely will not. So Jesus is speaking to these, these people, and in that mix are these Pharisees. But listen, they don't know his voice. Look at verse 6. It says, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand those things which he had been saying to them. They couldn't get it. They already rejected him. They didn't want to hear it. Their hearts were hard. This is a warning for us. Do not harden your heart to the things of God. Keep your heart open to the word of God. Are you listening this morning? Do you hear his voice? Do you understand? Are you here perhaps for the first time and suddenly this is crystallized? Suddenly you understand, it is Jesus. I need Jesus. Don't wait. Always the Bible says today. Today. Today is the day of salvation. You never want to wait. Don't miss the shepherd when he cries out your name. Respond in faith. Now, if you go to Palestine today in this area, you would also see this picture again. There are shepherds in the fields in Palestine, even today, even now. And they have their sheep. And a very common scene would be that the, the shepherds would, would bring their sheep. And it's usually like 10, 15 per shepherd. And they'd come to a water hole. And oftentimes at dusk, they all go to the same water hole. And so sometimes you might have 5, 6, 10, 15 shepherds, all their sheep gathered together at a water hole. They get all mixed up. And you'd think the shepherds would be really concerned that they're going to lose their sheep to one of the other shepherds. But they're never concerned. Why? Because the sheep know their voice. And so they might have a particular whistle some of them might have a horn, or some of them know each one by name. And when they're ready to leave, they just say, whistle, or hey, come on, they call them out, and their sheep follow them. That's exactly what we see here with the Lord. Two things we've seen. Jesus is the true shepherd. His sheep know his voice, and they follow only him. He's the true shepherd. His sheep hear his voice and obey his call. Here's the third one. Jesus is the doorway to salvation. All who enter through him will be saved. Jesus is the doorway to salvation, and all who enter through him will be saved. A lot of people outside the Christian faith struggle with this idea of only one way to God. But again, Jesus is crystal clear here. He is the door. He is the only way to the Father. Look at verses 7 through 10. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Listen, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and will find pasture. Now the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life and have it abundantly. So Jesus says to them again, truly, truly, again, listen up, really important, 
You don't want to miss this. And then he says, I am the door. This is another one of those I am statements. And the I am statements are known as a tetragrammaton, which is where Jesus is claiming to be God. We've already seen Jesus in John chapter 6 as I am the bread of life. Jesus already said, I am the light of the world. He's already said before Abraham was born, I am. And again right here he says, I am the door. So here both in verse 7 and in verse 9, Jesus says very clearly, I am the door. Some versions might say, I am the gate. You could say, I am the way. There is no other way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And you have this picture of him going in, calling and gathering his sheep, and leading them out. But they have to go through him. Now, this is the, the second scene. This is that sheepfold that's out in the wilderness, out in the open field, where the shepherd went and he built up a wall. And I don't know how big the walls are, but they're probably only about so high, enough just to keep the sheep in. But there would be an opening at the very front, and at night, the shepherd literally would become that door. He would lay in the opening. He would guard the sheep that way, and he would sleep in that doorway. He became the literal door, and this is what Jesus is saying. And everybody there gets it. They understand what he's saying. He is the door. The sheep cannot go in or out except through him. That's the type of sheepfold he's talking about here. Now, what does this image teach us about Christianity then? What does the door teach us about Jesus Christ? There is only one way, one, and it's through Jesus. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to know God. It must be through Christ. You must know Him. It must be through Him. Now, Jesus Himself said it, and the New Testament says it. One way that Jesus said it very clearly is another I am statement in John Chapter 14, verse 6, we all know this one well. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. Again, another way to say that I am the door. Acts 4.12, Luke put it like this. He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. There is one way. Paul put it like this in 1 Timothy 2.5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator between us and God, and it's Jesus. And this is just a small little fraction of everything that's in the New Testament. Jesus is the way. He is that door. So everyone there, of course, knows exactly what he's talking about, that there's only one way into the sheepfold. He's making a very strong statement. And then he says this. He says, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, now he's talking about those, those false shepherds again. He's not talking about the good prophets that had come before him, but he's talking about the false shepherds. And again, those Pharisees are right there in front of him. And so he, you're thinking that they would be beginning to get this, but I think they're just not understanding so there are two kinds of false shepherds that we see here. The first one he calls thieves, and that's the Greek word kleptis, where we get kleptomaniac. These are the kind of thieves that come in and they go kind of by stealth. It could be a shoplifter, you know, you take something, walk out, klepto. But there's another kind, a little more serious, 
This one is lestis, and it refers to one who steals by violence. Kills first. It's like a bank robber with a gun. Give me all you got. Either one wants to harm the sheep. Both are represented here. But the good news, again, is that Christ's sheep, they don't hear or listen to them. They only follow the true shepherd, and they won't be led astray by Jesus. So Jesus says in verse 9, I am the door. Listen, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastors. Now, there's two lessons that we learn from this. And this is actually looking at it, again, about man's responsibility from the man's side. First lesson, the image of the door is very narrow. There is only one way. Jesus is that way. Now, you can have multiple ways to get to the door, but there's only one door, and it's Jesus Christ. But the second lesson is that it's open to all. It's open to all. Look at, he said, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. It's a picture of the door open, not closed. It's a picture that's when, like when I go out and preach and when I go talk to people on the street, I really believe something's going to happen. Why? Because of anyone. There's nothing that needs to hold someone back. God is not a respecter of persons. The call of God goes out to all. It's, it's a broad call. It's not restricted on the basis of race or education or social position or wealth or achievements or good deeds or even bad deeds. It's open. And so we can in confidence go out and say, come. The door is open to you if you will believe. It's interesting, last Monday one of the evangelism teams went out and they were talking to somebody that said, I've done too many things that I could never be forgiven. Wrong. Jesus can pay for it fully on the cross and it's offered freely. If you'll come, I believe it. Now, that tension is there at all times. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Both are true. I believe both, and I preach both. And I've seen God move in power. But then what Jesus does is he contrasts himself again. Look at verse 10. He says, the thief, what does he do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, but I came that they have, may have life and life abundantly. Abundant life. So you have basically two offers given. You have a false shepherd. And what he offers is death. He doesn't come to give. He comes to take. He comes to steal, to kill. He offers what? Destruction. But then you have the offer of Jesus. And Jesus offers life, but not just little life, abundant life. Now, you understand before you knew Christ, you were dead in your sins. What Christ offers is life, life in God. He, he's not talking about abundant life like riches. He's talking of a life of purpose, a life of, of knowing God personally, of, of growing and understanding in Him, and then eventually eternal life, abundant, life full of meaning. I want to close with him. A story that I read, uh, it was yesterday. I was reading this article about, he's a, a businessman, his name is Coleman Mockler, and he was a, a Harvard Business School graduate, and he became the CEO of the Gillette Corporation. You know, Gillette makes the shave, shaving blades and all that kind of stuff. 
And he had started kind of on the low management scale, and he worked his way up to CEO. And when he took over as CEO, the company had already been established for 75 years, but he took the company to brand new heights. Everything he did was like gold. And so after 16 years of being CEO, Forbes magazine in 1991 had him on the cover of Forbes as the CEO of the year. And they sent him a, a copy, kind of the advanced copy to review. And when he received that in his office, as the story goes, he was walking down the halls and everybody in his company is clapping, you know, yeah, you know, you're the man, kind of at the top of his game. He was worth millions. The company had, had its stock had gone 50-fold higher than when he took over. Just an unbelievable success rate. And with that copy of Forbes magazine and all the applause of his people, he walks into his office, he closed the door, and he died. Had a massive heart attack with the magazine in his hand. It literally fell dead right on the floor. Now, I wanted to use that as an example of somebody to say, you can't take it with you, right? And that's so true. But I want you to know something. He knew Jesus Christ, and he was one of his sheep. As a matter of fact, he, he lived a life that honored Christ. He gave away millions for the work of the Lord. As a matter of fact, as I, as I did the research on this man, Coleman Mockler, he gave millions to a seminary known as Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and he, he started a whole department where he invested millions called the Conwell-Mockler Department of Faith and Ethics in the Workplace. He wanted to train up businessmen that would take Jesus Christ into the business place. This man heard the Lord's voice. Although he was successful and had all the stuff on the world side, he understood what it means, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to it. He understood that there was only one door. And when he closed his eyes on this earth with that magazine in his hands, that man was ushered into glory into riches untold. Amen? Yeah. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. I thank you for the truth of your scriptures, Lord. I, I love this picture, Lord, of you as the shepherd and us as the sheep. I see the care that you have for us and the, the protection that you give us and the leading by your spirit. Father, help us as your people to be faithful. Help us to listen for your voice and follow and obey, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.